Section 18 of Journal of the Reverend Francis Asbury, Volume 3. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Brian Keenan. South Carolina, Tuesday, 11. We reached Lynch's Creek, and next day, 28 miles brought us to Camden. My friends receive me as risen from sickness, tenderly attentive. On the Sabbath day, Alexander M. Kane supplied my place. On Friday, Saturday, and twice upon the Sabbath. This last day, I gave the sacramental discourse, upon 1 Corinthians 6, 1920. Whilst resting, I wrote some letters, and received some persons who wished to converse with me upon the best of subjects. I felt as if we wanted more living religion in the society here. Monday 17. I came to James Rembert's upon Black River, 20 miles. I wish I could be more solitary this week. On Tuesday I kept close that I might finish the short memoirs of Nicholas Waters and Tobias Gibson, both deceased this year. Wednesday 19. I preached at Rembert's Chapel. We had a cold rain. It chills the people. They cannot hear to profit. My subject was 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. That is, give you entire sanctification, and persevering grace to the end. Thursday 20. We had snow, four inches deep. I felt thankful that I had a house, and all things necessary to temporal enjoyment and comfort. Next day it cleared away. My soul is happy in God. Purity of heart is my joy, and prayer my delight. I feel as if God would sanctify all the conferences in the South. Oh, may it, in answer to my unceasing prayers, be a great time with the Lord's prophets. It is nine hundred miles from Wheeling on the Ohio to Charleston, South Carolina. From Baltimore thither by this route about twelve hundred miles. On Thursday, Saturday, and Sabbath day, I rested. Jonathan Jackson preached at Rembert's Chapel on Monday, and on Tuesday, Christmas Day, I gave them a sermon upon Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace a child after his human nature, a son of God. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Upon the shoulder it was that ancient temporal governors carried their badge of office. His shoulders shall be strong enough for the thousands of his faithful ministers, and the millions of his faithful people in his church militant, who shall confide in his strength. His name shall be called, that is, he shall in reality be what he is called. Wonderful, that is, a mysterious and miraculous person in his manifestations, in his birth, spiritual and holy, and in his miracles, notable, perfect, and undeniable. Counselor, this may refer to his ministry, his prophetic, priestly, and kingly offices. Mighty God, mighty in the power of his grace the Everlasting Father, as such, giving life and life eternal. Prince of Peace, 
giving and preserving peace in his kingdom, and thus contradistinguished from temporal princes, who are so generally promoters of war. Wednesday 26. We set out for Charleston. The rain overtook us, and we passed Sumter Courthouse, dripping. We dined with Mr. Bradford and pursued our journey, wet as it was. Stopping at a house where we might have remained for the night, we were driven off by a drunken madman who went on like a fiend. It was dark, and we had rain above, and mud and water below. The elements appear to be at war with us. At length Mr. Boyd saw us in our deep distress, and led us to his house, and treated us very kindly. I was wet. I was blistered. I was skinned. Thursday 27. We came on to contend with Santee at Nelson's Ferry, where I once had a surge with Hope Hull in company. The mud and mire were bad enough in the road, but oh the swamps! I dipped both feet, yet I came off pretty well. The water was rising. The wind blew fresh. But happily for us, James Jenkins came over in a canoe and brought the flat just as we were ready. We pushed on to Mr. Heron's and came in before the sun disappeared. Friday 28. We came thirteen miles to Monk's Corner to breakfast, thence to the ten-mile house, fed our horses, and put off again and reached the city. I think it may go for one hundred and twenty miles from Remberts to Charleston. Saturday 29. I had to rest indeed. I was sadly sore. Many letters came from various parts, which I answered. Daniel Hall made me glad by his account of the Suffolk camp meeting. In four days they calculate there having been as many hundred converted to God. On the Sabbath day I preached at Cumberland Street on John 1.50. I feel comforted in spirit. The sitting of this conference will not be in vain in Charleston. Two letters from Philadelphia announced to me that nearly one hundred souls have been converted in the different congregations since October. O oh, fire of the Lord! Come down and consume the fire of contention in that unhappy place. I have a pleasing account also of the success of a camp meeting in the state of New York. Tuesday, January 1, 1805. We opened our conference. I preached upon Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. To walk in wisdom towards them that are without is to purchase the present and future time, both of which are in our power. The highest wisdom of ministers is to propound and set forth faithfully the end and motive of thus walking. Christians walk in wisdom when they earnestly seek perfection by the best and only means, and in the highest wisdom when in the possession of all the communicable fullness of perfect love. I preached the ordination sermon of four elders, J. Crowder, H. M. Gaines, J. H. Mellard, and Hugh Porter. My body failed a little in these exercises. We had a sacrament and some singing and tears, but for want of more and closer exhortations there was nothing special done. The intendant of the city has forbidden our prayer meetings with the blacks before the rising sun. 
nor must the evening meetings be held later than nine o'clock. The preachers are seriously occupied with the work of the conference, and they are countrymen, and do not speak boldly as they ought to speak. Nevertheless, I hope and believe real good has been, and will be consequent upon the sitting of this conference. Monday 7. I attended to the entering of the minutes, wrote letters, packed up our stuff for removing, received visits, and bade farewell. Tuesday 8. We came off early and in haste, but we were soon checked. The causeway was bad, and the flat at the ferry aground. We were three hours getting over. At Andrews's tavern, we had to beg and pray to be taken in for the night. I and pay for it too. Our supper and lodging were three dollars. Next day, at a lone and slow ferry, we waited some time and lingered on the road. At seven o'clock we came into Moses Miller's, upon Black River. On Thursday we crossed the bridge below Kingstree, and called upon Captain Charles Williams, who generously took us in, and treated us kindly. Friday, eleven. A cold day. One night at Ports Ferry, and away. We have fallen short in our calculations of reaching Lumberton on the Sabbath day. On Saturday we came up to Robert Dunham's. Here Brother Watcote thought proper to stay a night. My mind has been in great peace. In a day and a half, with lodging, food, and ferries, three of us have spent nine dollars. I will here observe that we have admitted upon trial eighteen preachers in the Western, and eleven in the Southern Conference, and added two thousand members within the bounds of each, notwithstanding a great mortality and the constant removal to new lands. Sabbath 13 We rode eleven miles to James Ford's, a stage-house and company. We were kindly treated gratis. We gave them our prayers and thanks. Monday 14 We came to Mr. Lee's, dined and came on, lodging at Lumberton, a town of about twenty families. On Tuesday we had another cold ride to Fayetteville. At the African Meeting House I preached upon Hebrews 10, 38-39. It was a time of feeling, but eleven o'clock was no hour for some folks. I was invited to preach in the State House, but it did not suit my mind at all. The object of our visit was a Methodist congregation and society. Home is home. Ours is plain, to be sure but it is our duty to condescend to men of low estate, and therefore I felt justified in declining the polite invitation of the Reverend Mr. Flynn to officiate in his meeting-house. I must take the road again. Oh, what sweetness I feel as I steal along through the solitary woods! I am sometimes ready to shout aloud, and make all vocal with the praises of his grace who died, and lives, and intercedes for me. Brother Watcote preached at night. I added a few words, a sort of gossiping exhortation. North Carolina, Thursday, 17. We crossed Cape Fear, dined at Simpson's, and after night stopped at the Widow Andrus's, a stagehouse. On Friday we had a stormy morning. It paid us off for a time, and then cleared away. 
We came to Moore's Creek. We were so near swimming, I dipped my heels. We stopped at Parker's, dined, and continued on to Negro Head. We had swamps and spring tides. And behold, one of the bridges in Mr. Mallet's rice field was gone. Well for us, the overseer, one of our sheep, brought a ladder for us to walk upon, and by means of two planks laid together lengthwise, our horses passed over. We asked the housekeeper to let us stay. She consented, little thinking who we were, which, when she discovered, the poor thing was surprised and gladdened. We had a room, and prayed and talked with the blacks, and exhorted them. On Saturday morning we crossed northeast before sunrise. We came to our own house to breakfast. Our chapel in Wilmington is elegant, sixty-six by thirty-six feet. Brother Watco preached this morning. Sabbath 20. I preached on Titus 11, 14. Brother Watco spoke in the afternoon. Our enlarged house was filled with both colors. Monday 21. Many attended our meeting, though the weather was severe. Tuesday 22, we came on to topsail. Brother Nixon and family are preserved in the midst of disease and deaths. Dear Mrs. Campbell is gone home. Wednesday 23. We came to Lot Ballard's, 41 miles. The weather was very cold in the morning, and there was so much ice in the way we could scarcely get along. Brother Watcoat was afflicted with dysentery and bloody urine. On Thursday we rode sixteen miles to the widow Argett's. Here is a change. The man is dead. The widow was very attentive, and the blacks crowded to prayers. Friday 25. We reached Newburn, twenty-six miles. On Saturday it rained. We have happily escaped it. We have made 2,980 miles since General Conference. We lodged at the Widow Jones's. Her dear James is gone. He appeared to be as healthy as any man in Newburn. He went off after a few days' illness, of a pleurisy in the breast. Lord, and am I yet alive. Sabbath 27 was an awful day of cold rain. Few attended the worship of God. In my zeal I preached again at night. I exposed myself and exerted myself. Monday 28. We came away through a cold wind to Noose Ferry. Swift Creek swam us, and the waters of the greater stream floated us across in a tottering canoe, the horses alongside swimming. A twenty-eight miles ride brought us to the widow Richards to lodge. Arrived at Tar River, we found it was blowing a storm. I was unwilling to cross. The flat was nearly filled with water shortly after we put off. A boat came out to take us up. Brother Watcoat stood mid-leg in water. I had gained a plank and kept my feet dry. And it was well, as I had a touch of pleurisy and had discharged blood yesterday evening. We came safe and praised that God who in deaths oft had delivered us. Brother Watcoat preached at Washington in the evening. Wednesday 30. 
I preach to a congregation of very unfeeling people. The blacks have no gallery. The whites look upon us with contempt. Oh, Washington, Washington! Thursday 31. We came to Williamstown. I preached at Brother Watts's house. My subject was Romans 5, 1 through 5. Roanoke was full. Friday, February 1. We rode up to General Williams's, 48 miles from Washington. We must yet go 60 miles out of our way to go by Norfolk. Poor men and weary horses. Saturday 2. We stemmed the northwest wind, 20 miles, to cross the awful Roanoke. For a mile and a half from the ferry, the fences were swept away. During the freshet, cattle and hogs and some slaves had been carried off. Its proud waves were stayed when we arrived. We rode 32 miles to Joseph Penner's, Northampton, without seeing the inside of a house. I was most severely penetrated with cold, and my bowels were disordered. We had snow and cold on the Sabbath day, and we were glad to rest. The people came to meeting, and we delivered our testimony. Virginia, Monday 4 The day was excessively cold. The icy, frozen roads endangered limbs and life itself. We kept on. At Murfreesburg, we had a meeting at the house of the widow Merida. I spoke to them from 1 Corinthians 5, 13-17. Next day at Somerton, we had a small meeting in Hazlitt's house. Wednesday 6. In Suffolk, at the house of Mr. Yerbury, my subject was Revelations 3, 11-12. Thursday 7. I was very unwell. But we pushed on, through water, mud, and mire, to Portsmouth, where we arrived about an hour in the night. At eleven o'clock on Friday, we had a meeting of the official members for business. They unanimously wished to have a stationed preacher. This was a great difficulty last year. Our chapel has been enlarged to sixty feet by thirty. I advised the addition of galleries. As I passed over the bridge to Norfolk, I examined and was pleased with it. It is more upon the eastern plan of such improvement than any I have seen to the south. It is 1,100 feet long and 30 wide, the piles coppered to high water mark to preserve the wood from the worm. And it has a drawbridge. The cost is said to be $30,000, and it yields 5% to the company. We met the official members of the Norfolk Society. Here are some difficulties and more poverty but the work progresses here as well as at Portsmouth, where the society has grown and prospered under the care of John Potts. Sunday 10 I preached at Norfolk upon Romans 13, 11-14, that knowing the time, etc. Slumbering, sleeping professors are called, by the signs of the time, to awake, to cast off the works of darkness, as they would clothes which no longer suited their characters, garments no longer appropriate to their profession, and to put on the armor of light, the whole armor of God, to walk honestly, that is, decently, as it becometh the true, consistent, dignified Christian character, 
to avoid the sensualities of the world, and the sins and indulgences of the flesh and spirit, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be dressed, decked, adorned with Jesus Christ, and filled with his Spirit, to make no provision for the flesh, with the intent and desire of fulfilling its lusts. At Portsmouth I preached upon Luke 3, 6, All flesh shall see the salvation of God. 1. The excellencies of the salvation. It is a common salvation, a great salvation, the salvation of God. 2. The nature of this salvation, in its degrees of justification, sanctification, and glorification. 3. The present subjects of salvation, infants and believers. The ample means furnished to all, that they may see this salvation. Faithful ministers, faithful, consistent, praying professors, and all the holy ordinances of the church. I was greatly assisted in speaking. I warmly exhorted our friends in Norfolk to build a tabernacle in some part of the town. Monday 11. At Jolliffe's Chapel I spoke on an appropriate text from Isaiah 49.20. The house is not half large enough. We dined at Brother Denby's and came on to the widow Reddick's. She and her sister are both professors. Tuesday 12. At Suffolk, Brother Watcote preached a very appropriate sermon. At Murphy's, the work revives. A new house is in preparation. The place is too straight. We must make room for them to dwell. My subject here was 1 Timothy 2, 3, 4. Wednesday 13. Brother Watcote preached at Joseph Moody's. God has wrought powerfully at Blunts and Benz. They are preparing a large house for worship at the former place. General Wells and family have returned to us. Willis Wells is coming back from following O'Kelly, besides twenty other members who have been drawn away. They profess to have had enough of him. Mr. O'Kelly has come down with great zeal and preaches three hours at a time upon government, monarchy, and episcopacy, occasionally varying the subject by abuse of the Methodists calling them aristocrats and Tories, a people who, if they had the power, would force the government at the sword's point. Poor man. The Methodists have but two of their very numerous society members of Congress, and until these democratic times we never had one. I question if, in all the public legislative bodies in the seventeen United States, there are more than twenty members Methodists. No, our people are a very independent people, who think for themselves, and are as apt to differ in politics, so do the preachers, and divide at the hustings, as those of any other denomination. And surely, they are not seekers of the offices of this world's profit or honor. If they were, what might they not gain in many parts of the United States? Whilst one rails at us, Others, who are always fond of fishing in troubled waters, take those who are already in our net, or, hunting on forbidden ground, pick up our crippled game. See what believers their church is composed of. Thursday 14. 
The rain held us in doubt until eleven o'clock. Then we started, and about two o'clock a dreadful storm of thunder, hail, and wind overtook us, and drove us to a house for shelter. Here we remained an hour, and then came on to Captain Birdsong's. It blew up excessively cold. Oh, death, death, in the neighborhood of Ellis's chapel, where we have held conferences, too. Friday 15. We stopped to feed our horses at a Quaker preacher's, a friend Nixon. We would not eat ourselves, where it was not agreeable we should pray. We found the wind so cold and cutting as we made towards Petersburg, we could hardly bear up against it. Saturday 16. Colder still. Snow in the north. Five and six feet deep in New York. Ice. Ice. Awful time. End of section 18. Recording by Brian Keenan.